I want to talk to you today about taking time. About taking time. We've, we've talked a good bit about time and how important it is that we spend time together as a family, how we spend time together at, with our spouse. But today I just want to take a few minutes and just focus on that subject. I want to focus on the subject of time. Listen, listen to what the Bible tells us in the book of James because James asks us a very sobering question. He says, what is your life? Well, what is your life? And then he answers that for us. He says that you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And you know, sometimes I think we need to be reminded just how short life is on this earth. We, we had a precious lady here last week who was celebrating her 91st birthday. That's a long time on this earth. But it's a short time in comparison to eternity. Amen? Because James reminds us that life here on this earth is short. That it appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. I'm telling you, I stand here before you this morning, 57 years old. And I used to think 57 was old. I used to think 37 was old. And now that I'm approaching 60, I realize 60 is not as old as I thought it used to be. Somebody that's in my generation, say amen with me. But I'm beginning to realize the brevity of life. I'm beginning to realize just how short life on this earth is. And you know, I've had the privilege, and I say the privilege, even though it wasn't the most enjoyable thing that I have to do as a pastor, I've had the privilege and I've had the honor of being with many people when they were breathing their last breath, to be there with them, to pray and to sing over them as they are leaving the temporary and entering into the eternal. And I've had the opportunity to have conversations with them in the last minutes of their life. And to this day, and I mean, I've done this probably hundreds of times, but to this day, I've never had one person say to me, Pastor, I wish that I, would have, I could have just made a little bit more money. Or, Pastor, I wish that I could have just built a little bit bigger house. Or, Pastor, I wish that I could have just gained a few more possessions. But what I hear over and over and over again on a consistent basis is, Pastor, I just wish that I had a little bit more time. A little bit more time because if I had a little bit more time, knowing now the value of time, if I had a little bit more time, I would take more advantage of that time with God. And I would take more advantage of that time with my spouse and I would take more advantage of that time with my children. Ladies and gentlemen, life is short. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. And so what you and I have got to do is that we have got to learn how to take advantage of the time, to use time to our advantage while we are here on this earth. I love what A.W. Tozer, one of the great preachers of old who has now gone on to be with the Lord, I love what he said about time. He said that time is a resource that is non-renewable and non-transferable. You cannot store it, you cannot slow it up, you cannot hold it up, you cannot divide it up or give it up. 
You can't hoard it up or save it for a rainy day. When it's lost, it's unrecoverable. When you kill time, remember that it has no resurrection. You never get lost time back. And how many times have we heard people say, oh, I'm just killing time. I'm just killing time. You know that's time you'll never get back. You know that's time that will never be resurrected. Before I get into the heart of the message this morning, I just want to give you a few things about what time is. The first thing that we need to know about time is that time is to be treasured. And I know this doesn't sound grammatically correct, but time needs to be treasured worshipfully. I'm not going to spend and belabor this point much because you've heard me say it over and over again that the most valuable treasure, the most valuable resource that God has given every single one of us is our time. You, you may have more gifts than me. You may have more talents than me. You may have more abilities than me. You may have more money than me. You may have more children and more grandchildren than I do. But one thing that you do not have more of than me is time. Time puts every single one of us on level ground. Time is equal to each and every one of us that are here in this sanctuary this morning. And so we need to see time as a treasure. I remember the woman who came and took a valuable jar of fragrance that she had and she loved Jesus so much that she took the most valuable possession that she had and she came and she poured that possession on the feet of Jesus. She took the most valuable thing that she had and she turned it into worship to the Lord. And I believe that's the way it should be with our time. That because God has given us time as our most treasured resource, our most valuable resource that we need to be giving our time back to Him in worship. That first and foremost, we need to be spending time with God. We need to be spending time with God in prayer. We need to be spending time getting to know God through His Word. That time needs to be treasured worshipfully. But not only does time need to be treasured, time also needs to be invested. And it needs to be invested wisely. Some of you who invest your money, you don't want to put your investment into something foolish. You use wisdom when you are investing your money you will even call people that are experts who are professionals that's their field is to help you know where to invest your money and where not to invest your money and I think that we need to be just as serious about time investing our time and investing it wisely listen to what Proverbs or Psalm chapter 90 verse 12 says the psalmist said teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What he's saying here is basically what James said. James said that life is short. And when you and I, when we understand just how short life is, just how little time that we actually have here on this earth, that if we would realize that, then I guarantee you that we would get a heart of wisdom. We would be more wise 
as to how we spend our time or waste our time or invest our time. Paul said it like this in Ephesians 5. He said, be careful then how you live. Don't live unwise. Don't live like fools. But he said, instead, live like wise people, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Another scripture says it like this, or another translation says it like this, redeeming the time. Time is so important. And we need to be investing it wisely, not foolishly. And then a third thing about time is this, and that is not only is it to be treasured and invested, but time is to be managed well. How many of you know that if you don't manage your time, someone else will manage it for you? Right? The Bible says that the thief, the devil, that he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And one area where he would love to steal from you is in the area of your time. Time has to be managed well. Brian, can you bring that table out here to me? I want to try to give you a visual this morning that maybe will help you understand how important it is that we manage our time well and how important it is that we establish priorities in our lives as it relates to time. I'm going to just slide it over a little bit more here into the middle so that everybody can see it. I have this little container and this little container, let's just say that this container represents our schedule. Let's just say that it represents our calendar. And, and of course, we know that we have big things. We have important things that, that need to be a priority in our life. And to save us some time today, I went ahead and put those big things in this container, those big things on our calendar, those big things on our schedule. How many of you would say that this container is full? It's not full because now what I can do is I can take some of the smaller things that, that come in life and I can pour that in here and you can see that there's still, there's still room for more. And what we thought was full, actually it's not full at all. And usually I would do this with sand, but since I don't have any sand, we're going to get you some good old salt because now it looks like it's full, but you know what? The Bible says shake down, pressing together and running over. Look at that. There's still room in that container, but now I can take some, some salt and notice I can still, even the smaller things in life, you know, we, we can still get it in here. Now, now it looks full, doesn't it? But you know what? I think we can still get more into this. Still pack more in to that calendar. Look at that. Isn't it amazing? I'm a magician, and this is a circus. <laughs> now, I think it's pretty close to full. Now, in watching that demonstration... What is the message that you take away from that today? Because usually when, I, when I've done this in the past, the message that people take away from it is there's always room left in your schedule to cram in more. But that's not the message that I want you to leave with this morning because that's exactly how we feel. You know, I got a little time here. I can do this. I can, do, I can fit this in. I can fit that in. And you know, so many times we don't understand that we have limitations 
and we overbook ourselves. That's not the message that I want you to leave with today. The message that I want you to leave with today is this, and that is, unless you put the big things in first, there won't be room for them. And so I'm asking you this morning, what are the big rocks in your life? Because really the most important things in life, first of all, should be our relationship with God. That should be our number one priority. And before anything else gets into our calendar or anything else gets into our schedule, we need to make sure that we've got room for time with God. But not only that, there's also our marriage And next to our relationship with God, if you're married, that is now the most important relationship that you have here on earth is that relationship with your spouse. So that's got to go on the calendar early. And then there's that time that you need with your children. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that here in just a few minutes. The time that you need with your children. And if you don't put that in there, you know, as, as one of your top priorities, one of the big rocks, then what's going to happen is that all of these other small, less important, less urgent things are going to fill up your schedule and you're not going to have time for the most important things in your life. Does that make sense to anybody here this morning? And so that's why we've got to talk about this issue of time. Listen to what Ecclesiastes 3 and 1 says. It says, for everything there is a season. There is a time for every activity under heaven. And so I want to talk to you this morning, especially to parents. I want to talk to you about some things that we, as parents and as grandparents, need to be taking the time to do with our children. And the first thing that we need to be taking time to do is we need to be taking time to teach our children. Taking time to teach our grandchildren. You're like, well, tell me something, Pastor, tell me something that I don't already know. Well, you may already know it, but it's time to do it. You know, nobody's life has ever been transformed by the knowledge they have. It's only when we take that knowledge and do something with it that we're actually obedient to what the Word of God says. That's where change and transformation begins to happen. Now listen, we've got some incredible schools in our community. And I am so thankful for our schools. I know every principal in these schools have a relationship with them. I know many of the teachers in our schools. And so many of them are probably right here this morning. We have have great schools we have great administrators we have great teachers and isn't it good to know that you can drop your kids off or put them on the bus and know that they're going to end up in good hands and that they're going to be taught well but listen to me it's not the responsibility of the teacher in the public school system to teach your child about God Yes, they're there to teach them about arithmetic and math and science and history and all of those. Arithmetic and math, by the way, are the same things for some of you that don't know. (laughs) Science, history, all of those subjects. Yes, that's what they're there to teach our children, to pour into our lives. And we're thankful that we do have a community that can pray, that prays with our children, that, that, that will even allow me to come over and pray with our teachers and pray with our administrators. And I'm sure that they're getting some teaching about God and a relationship with God. But listen, that's not their primary responsibility. It is the primary responsibility of moms and dads to be teaching their children children about God and about the Word of God. That's our responsibility. Notice what Hosea said in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6. This was to the nation of Israel. He said, my people are destroyed 
from a lack of knowledge. This is God speaking through the prophet to the nation of Israel. And he said, my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. I'm telling you, we're looking at a generation that are being destroyed because of a lack of knowledge of God. And and if we're not careful, we're waiting for somebody else to step into that role and responsibility when that's our role and our responsibility. Look at what he goes on to say. He says, because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. Here's what he's saying, that it was the responsibility of the priests to be teaching the people the knowledge of God and to be teaching the people what the word of God said. And he said that the priests are not doing that. Instead, the priests have rejected knowledge and they've ignored my commands. Now, you've got to understand that he's not just talking specifically to those who stood in the role of a priest. He's talking to the nation of Israel who was supposed to be a priest to all of the other nations. But instead of them being the priest that they should and teaching the knowledge of God and teaching the Word of God, they were doing instead what was displeasing to God. Idolatry, all kinds of wrong instead of right. And so he said, because you've rejected me, I'm going to reject you and because you've ignored me I'm going to ignore you the Bible says this if you go over into first Peter it says that we are a chosen generation we are a royal priesthood and we are a holy nation and it is our responsibility listen to me mom and dad mom and dad you both serve as the priest to your children in your home and it is the role of the priest to teach your children the knowledge of God into a relationship with God and what the Word of God has to say. Is there anybody here this morning who agrees with me on that point that we need to be teaching our kids? And and, and it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 6. Look at this. He said, these are all the commands, laws, and regulations that the Lord your God told me to teach you. Moses said, God gave me these commands to teach you. And then what he's going to say here in just a moment is now it's your turn to take them and go teach them to your children. So that you may obey them in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. How many of you know kids cannot obey something that they don't know? Thank you. I needed that amen, sweetheart. So many times we're expecting things from our kids that we've never taught them. You can't expect your kids to cut the grass right if you've never taught them how to cut the grass. I would expect a few amens over here. I'm trying to, trying to help you. But notice he goes on and he says this, And so you and your children and grandchildren might fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his laws and commands, you will enjoy a long life. And you now must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them. I love this. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey. When you're lying down and when you're getting up again. Tie them on your hands as a reminder. And wear them on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. In every way, shape, form, or fashion, and every opportunity you have, use that opportunity to teach your children about God and about the Word of God. What does the Word of God have to say about this? We see a great example of that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And 2 Timothy chapter 3 begins like this. Paul said, Timothy, and, and you understand that Paul wrote this book, but he's writing it to this young pastor named Timothy, giving him some instruction on how to pastor the church. 
And he said, Timothy, in the last days, perilous, dangerous, difficult times are going to come. Men are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. He goes on and he says that seducers and evil men are going to wax worse and worse. But then he says this to Timothy. He said, but Timothy, you must remain faithful to the things that you have been taught and thank God he had been taught. And let me tell you, I believe, and we're already in some difficult, perilous times, but we might be headed for even more difficult and perilous times. And if we're not teaching our church, our, our children, how to be able to stand during these evil times, it's not going to be good. But Timothy's grandmother and mother, Lois and Eunice, had taught her. The apostle Paul had taught her. He said, you know that they're true because you can trust the ones who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. That is how important it is, ladies and gentlemen, that we teach our children about God and we teach our children the Word of God. But it's not just enough to take time to teach. We've also got to take time to train Teaching is giving them knowledge. Training is showing them how to use it. And we've got to take the time to train. It's easy to tell kids what they should do and what they shouldn't do. But it's not so easy to show them, to demonstrate, to train them how to do it. Well, it's just easier if I do it myself. And you'll end up doing everything yourself. But you've got to take the time to train Notice what the Bible says, and this is one of the most misquoted verses, most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Notice it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. And you know what? We've looked at that passage of Scripture as a promise. And because of that, because we've looked at a promise, and it's only a promise, there's a lot of parents who have gotten discouraged, who have done the right thing, How many of you know of some parents who taught their children about God, taught their children the Word of God, lived the Word of God in front of them, brought them to church every time the doors were open, but now that child has departed from the faith? Even though the parents did everything that they could possibly do. So this verse of Scripture is not a promise. This verse of Scripture is a warning to us parents. If you go back to the original Hebrew manuscript, the word should is left out. It's not even there. It was only added by man to help us try to get some kind of clarity about this passage of Scripture. But when you take out the word should, it makes a complete difference because it says train up a child in the way. And and, and really, here's, here's the way it should be read. Train up a child in his own way. And when he's old, he won't depart from that. In other words, if you don't train up a child in the way they should go, if you let that child go their own way, if you let that child decide whether they're going to church or not. Now, I know I'm going to step on some toes right here. But if you let that child make the decisions, if you let that child decide, we don't let them decide about whether they're going to get up on Monday morning and go to school. I I know I'm sounding really old-time, old-fashioned right now. And I can tell you that when I was a kid and my mom and daddy made us go to church, I had to miss ball games. I had to miss band concerts. I had to miss all kind of stuff that I thought was important to me because my daddy said, if the church doors are open, boy, you're going to be in the church doors. But daddy, 
Wizard of Oz comes on Sunday night at 6 o'clock. And I want to watch the Wizard of Oz. Listen, there will come a time when your child will be old enough to make that decision on their own. They'll have to choose their own way. But if you're raising your children and you let them do their own thing, you let them go their own way, you let them make their own choices, guess what? When they are old, they will not depart from that. This scripture is not just a promise. This scripture is a warning. And we need to be taking time. I, I can see that look on some of your faces like, Oh, pastor, I've agreed with everything you've said the whole three years you've been here but I just disagreed with you right there that's okay I used to remember I hated it when my daddy would make me go to church but now that I'm 57 years old I'm so thankful that my daddy made me go to church every time the church doors open because you know what there were some of those nights and there were some of those days I didn't want to go to church but I was made to go to church and in some of those moments it's when I had some of the most powerful encounters with God that I've ever had in my entire life and so today I'm thankful and I'm grateful that my mom and my daddy had such a high standard and my brother's sitting here today he'll tell you when it was church time we never even thought we never even asked do we have to go can we stay home Uh uh-uh we knew what the answer to that but I'm sick that's all right we'll pray for you you'll get healed when you get to the house of God it's the way it was three areas that we need to do this my goodness my time gets gone from me Three areas we need to train. Number one, in discovering. We need to help our kids discover what their purpose in life is. We need to help them figure that out. We need to help them discover what are your gifts, your talents, your abilities. And not only to discover those things, but then secondly, to help them to develop them. Help them develop those gifts. Help them develop those talents. Help them develop those abilities. And then thirdly, we need to train when it comes to the area of discipline. We need to use discipline as a means to train and I'm gonna tell you something else and and listen you ain't got to raise your kids the way my mom and daddy raised us or the way I raised my kids but my mom and daddy believed in physical punishment (laughs) and that's another thing I stand here today thankful for because some of us have to have the H-E double hockey sticks beat out of us (laughs) if you know what I'm talking about There ain't no doubt where I would have been today had it not been for the discipline of my mom and daddy. Somebody help me here. I know this section right here ain't going to help me right here. (laughs) Discipline. Look at Proverbs 13 and 24. For those of you that don't believe that that feels like, you know, a little bit of physical punishment is is abuse. I I never once thought about calling DHR. Never once thought about calling 911, and if I had, my daddy said, well, you might ought to. <laughs> Sometimes, it was like, you call 911, you're going to need them when they get here. <laughs> Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now listen, Pastor Victor didn't write this. This is the wisest man who ever lived beside Jesus. This is the inspired word of God. You go to Genesis or you go to uh, Psalm 23 when it talks about the Lord as our shepherd. It says his rod and his staff, they comfort us. You're like, well, no comfort (laughs) with that rod in my house. Oh, yes, there was. 
the rod. The rod was what the shepherd carried. It was like a club. So that, listen, so that if other animals or predators tried to come in and destroy the sheep, the shepherd would use the rod to beat those animals away from his sheep. But then when it came to use the rod on the sheep, he wouldn't beat the sheep with it. He would use it to prod the sheep. That when the sheep got out of line, he would use that, that, that club, that, that rod to get those sheep back in line again. It was an instrument of discipline to keep those sheep headed in the right direction to keep those sheep in the fold to keep them from wandering to keep them from being stubborn and going their own way and then notice Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. there's a bunch of these folly is bound up in the heart of a child that is foolishness but the rod of discipline drives it far from them look at this one in Proverbs 23 do not withhold discipline from a child if you strike him with a rod he won't die you may feel like you're gonna die there was some times I thought I was gonna die and I even told my daddy I'm dying daddy I'm dying I can't can't breathe daddy I can't breathe my brother he was just the opposite my dad would 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 discipline us and man he just come at me with a some of you ain't gonna like this with a belt He, he, he would just come at me with something like that and I would I'd go crazy Daddy, no, I promise I won't ever do it again. I promise, Daddy, I won't. And my brother was just the opposite. My dad could, my dad could spank him. My dad could whip, whoop him, could whoop him. And he would just stand there gritting his teeth. He wasn't going to cry one bit. But notice, he said, don't withhold that discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, they're not going to die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol, which is a Hebrew word for hell. So it's okay. Listen, you raise your kids the way you want to raise your kids. Give give them time out. Take their video games away from them. Whatever works for you. But I just know that the only thing that really worked for me, man, if if I would have got put in time out, I'd been like, yes. (laughs) Yes. I would have thought twice about doing it again because that's that's it. That's all. I got to just... Look at a corner. All right. Take the video games away. Didn't have to worry about that. We didn't have any video games when I was growing up. The only thing we had was Pong, you know, where you had that little knob and little dot went up, little dot went down. Listen, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about how God disciplines his own kids. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved. By him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Have you ever had your parents tell you that? I'm doing this because I love you. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. In other words, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't get angry. You need discipline. God's treating you as sons, as daughters, as kids. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children, not sons. In other words, if God's not disciplining you, it means you're not one of his kids. But he disciplines his sons. He disciplines his daughters. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us. Oh, amen right there. And we respected them. Amen right there. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? He's talking about our spirit, that God is the father of our spirits. And God is trying to train and tame those spirits so that we go his way and not our own way. He said, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good 
good that we may share in his holiness. There is a purpose to discipline. It is so that we as the children of God can become holy and righteous as our Father. Our Father wants us to look like him. Our Father wants us to act like him. And sometimes he has to discipline us. In order to make that happen, we got to move on. Here's the third thing. Take time, not just to teach and to train. Take time to have fun. Oh, come on. Fun. You guys do know it's not a sin to laugh, don't you? It, we don't laugh at sin. But it's not a sin to laugh. It's not even a sin to have fun when you come to church. I think if church was a little bit more fun, a lot of our kids wouldn't think it's boring and try to find somewhere else to be on Sunday morning. Amen? It's okay to have fun when you go to church. It's okay when you come in to see a circus. That's why we're having this family circus is because we want to encourage you. Have fun with your family. Have fun with your kids. Laughter is biblical. Fun is biblical. Ecclesiastes 3 and 4, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance. Some of you have mourned. Some of you have weeped. Now it's time to laugh. Now it's time to dance. Now it's time to celebrate. And God is fine with this. Did you know that every time God told his people to remember whether it was the Passover, whether it was the Feast of Tabernacles that they celebrated where God took care of them and provided shelter in the wilderness, every feast that the nation of Israel has, when you go, you know what you're going to have? Fun. Fun. Man, they're going to have fun. They're going to celebrate. Yes, they're going to remember. They're going to take the Passover meal, but they're going to celebrate. They're going to party. They're going to have fun. Listen to what the scripture says in, in Psalm 126 when God was bringing the nation of Israel out of Babylonian captivity. He said, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter. <laughs> what about Sarah when God told Sarah she was going to have a, a baby in her old age? What did she do? She laughed. Some of you like, I'd have cried. She laughed. She laughed. And do you know what she did when he was born? Look at what the scripture says. She declared, God has brought me laughter. And all who hear about this will laugh with me. Don't tell me God don't have a sense of humor when he can give a baby to a hundred-year-old man and a woman in her 90s. And she said that even when Isaac was born, she said, I couldn't help it. I just had to laugh. And she said, everybody who hears about this, they're going to laugh with me. And here we are thousands of years later talking about it and still laughing about what God did in Sarah's life. It's okay. It's okay to laugh. Proverbs 15 and 13. Somebody needs this. A glad heart makes a happy face, but a broken heart crushes the spirit. We can tell what kind of heart you got by the look on your face. Because if you're happy in your heart, you're going to be happy on your face. Why don't you just right now. Look at that person beside you. Smile real big. Come on, somebody hasn't smiled all morning. It's okay. It's okay. Look at Proverbs 15 and 15. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. And I love this. I love this. For the despondent, every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. You see, it is, what you, it is what you make it. You can't choose your circumstances. You've heard me say it, but you can choose how you respond. But for the despondent, every day brings trouble. Every day's bad. 
got bad service at the restaurant. Got bad service at the gas station. You know, just got, I, I, I went through the line at the Walmarts and I just got just bad, 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 bad. Because when your heart, when, when, when that is your attitude and your perspective on life, then every day is going to be bad. But he says this, but when you have a happy heart, life is a continual feast. Oh, there's always something to enjoy. Proverbs 17 and 22, you know this one, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. I like the message paraphrase of that. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. That's some people's theme song right there. I guess, I guess I'm not the only one that watched Hee Haw. Psalm 45 and 7, just in case you want to know. Therefore, God, you're God. Talking about Jesus now. Talking about Jesus. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. You want me to tell you who laughs most? You want me to tell you who has the most fun? You want me to tell you who's the happiest? Jesus. Because the oil of gladness was poured out on him more than anybody else. I've had people ask me. My dad just asked me this the other day. Victor Lane, that's what they call me. Victor Lane, why do kids like you so much? Because kids love me. They really do. I, I, wish, I wish the moms and dads liked me as much as the kids do. <laughs> they do. Little children, little kids love me. At our former church after church, I'm telling you, it wouldn't be nothing. Jamie would tell you, 50 kids would come up after church to grab and hug, to see pastor after the service. And here's what I told my daddy. I said, it's because I'm not too stinking prideful to get down on their level and talk to them and play with them. Play with them. Just have fun. Just have fun. Some of you say, oh, I'm too tired to have fun. Well, if you would practice the Sabbath and take a day of rest. That's another scripture where we talk about breaking the spirit of Baal over families and over folks. Have fun with your family. Come back tonight. Have some fun. But listen, and here's where I'm going to close. Guys, if you'll just go ahead and come. Thank you, honey. Thank you. I'm trying. I'm wrapping up as quick as I can. Don't you just love these babies? Don't you just love them? Here's the last thing. You've got to take time to lead your kids into the presence of the Lord. I want to say that again. You've got to take time to lead your children into the presence of the Lord. To teach them, to train them, have fun with them. But notice, I didn't say take them. I said lead them into the presence of the Lord of the Lord. Listen to what the scripture tells us here in Deuteronomy 29. This is when God had told Moses to bring all the people out because they were about to, as a nation, enter into a covenant with God. And he said, I want everybody. He said, all of you today stand before the Lord, your God, your leaders, your tribes, your elders, your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water. In other words, everybody needs to come into the presence of the Lord. Now this is, this is primarily the reason why we do these family worship services on Wednesday night. 
This is so important because on Sunday morning, the children are in one place and we're in another. But God wants us to encounter His presence together. Together. Uh, Another thing, you know, some of us that are here from my generation that grew up in church, we didn't have children's church when I was growing up. We we didn't. You, You had to sit in big church and you had to behave. And, and if, if I didn't, my brother is a witness to this because it happened to him as well. There have been times my daddy would be up preaching and he would stop in the middle of his message, snap them fingers and I knew, uh-oh. And he would point back and he'd say, Victor Lane, come up here. Sit right over here with me. I have walk up in front of that church and have to sit on that stage and look at everybody. Because we were taught when you come into the house of the Lord, you focus. If I was sitting by my mama, some of you know what this is all about. If I was acting up, she'd grab the back of that arm right there and twist. And what you want to do is go, oh! But you can't. Let me tell you why this is so important. We got to do these family worship nights, folks, because we need to worship and come into the presence of the Lord as a family. And let me tell you why it's important to lead your family into the presence of the Lord. First Samuel chapter 2, I love this. This is where Hannah had been praying. She had been barren. Her husband had another wife by the name of Penina. Penina was having baby after baby after baby. Hannah was barren. And she kept praying, God, give me a son. If you'll give me a son, if you'll give me a child, I promise I'll give that child back to you. And when Samuel was born, she fulfilled that commitment that she made to the Lord. And she immediately took Samuel to the house of the Lord where he was raised in the house of the Lord by the priest of the Lord. And notice it said that Samuel, though only a boy, was the Lord's helper. He wore a linen tunic just like that of a priest as a little boy. Each year his mother made a small coat for him and brought it to him when she came with her husband to the sacrifice. Before they returned home, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, Hannah, and say, May the Lord give you other children to take the place of this one that she gave to the Lord. Now look at this next one. I love this. And the Lord gave Hannah three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. This blesses me so much. Because if if there's one thing that we could attribute why our boys are where they are today, it was because we led them into the presence of the Lord. The most beautiful times that we've had together as a family. When we were in Atlanta and our boys just lived a few miles away from us, every Thursday night was a family night. And they would come over and we would have dinner. And then after we would have dinner, we would go into the family room and Micah would bring his guitar and Caleb would bring his guitar. And we would just begin to worship. And I'm telling you, man, the presence of God would come into that room. And the Holy Spirit would begin to speak. Words of revelation and prophetic words would go forth in the presence of the Lord. And don't think your children don't want that. Your children hunger for that. Your children thirst for that. Here's why it's so important. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. They need to be in the presence of the Lord because they need only the the joy that only comes from being in the presence of the Lord. Our boys to this day, when they do get to come back to the house, First thing they want to do is talk about, can we take time to just do some worship and pray for one another and allow the Holy Spirit to 
speak through and to encourage us. The presence of the Lord, and we leave with joy. Psalm 31 and 20. This is why the presence of the Lord is so important. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them. From the intrigues, from the attacks, from the opposition of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe. From lying, accusing, gossiping, tongues. You see, I found that when your kids have experienced the presence of God, they don't care what man tries to do. They don't care what man says. They know who they are in Christ Jesus. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.